0: Why do we use filters on our Instagram photos? I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's to hide our imperfections. We put on a filter and it makes us look better and it makes us feel better about ourselves. In fact, you can even get, and I don't, you know, I doubt any of you guys use these, but there are actually apps out there that make your skin look nicer, you know? So you take a picture of yourself and then you run this app that like kind of cleans you up and maybe even like makes your face look skinnier or your eyes brighter or takes away blemishes and we use these things in our society because we're an image-obsessed society where we wanna look good. And we're, we're, we become experts at hiding our flaws from one another, but I would even say, experts at hiding our flaws from ourselves, because no one likes to face their own darkness. No one likes to look into the mirror and see, not even, we, we look in the mirror, we don't like to see imperfections about our face, but even more so, we don't want to look into a spiritual mirror and actually acknowledge the fact that we're sinners. I don't know about you, but I don't like to sit around and think about my sin. I don't like to sit around and think about what a bad person I am without Jesus. But you know what? The scripture is a mirror. And when we read the scripture, it reveals to us the darkness in ourselves. And in today's story, we're going to see Peter talking to a crowd of Jews who need to face the darkness inside of them. And God uses him to speak, and I pray that God uses me right now to speak in the same way, because it's a message that we need today. So just to recap, if you weren't here on Wednesday, on Wednesday night we covered the story of Peter and John healing the lame man. I'm going to read that story right now. Look at Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. And there was a man there who was lame from birth, and he was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going to the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But Peter looked straight in the eye at him. So did John. And Peter said, Look at us. And the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something in return. Then Peter said, Listen, man, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And they took him by the hand and they helped him up, and instantly his feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and leaping and praising God. And when they all saw him, when the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him. That's the guy who used to sit at the gate begging. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. This is the first miracle of the early church. And Peter and John's focus when they see this man is, you know, they say, we've met Jesus and now we see someone who needs Jesus. Can we introduce you to Jesus so that your life can be changed too? And now we're gonna pick it up after verse nine today for our lesson and we're going to see what happened in this scene. So imagine, there's this guy, this guy who was a beggar, sitting by the side of the road every day begging and he was lame. That means his legs could not work and everyone knew him. Everyone knew that's the cripple in town. But then he bursts through the doors. He opens up the doors and he, he's walking and leaping, he's doing cartwheels, he's praising God and he's like, I've been healed. And people are amazed. Now look at verse 11. So the man clung on to Peter and John, and all the people were astonished and came running running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. And when Peter saw this, he said, guys, fellow Israelites, why are you surprised by this? Why do you stare at us as if it's our own power that made this man walk? No, listen, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. The first thing Peter does is he proclaims the name of Jesus, So often we are reluctant to speak the name of Jesus. I mean, it's funny, like people use Jesus' name as a cuss word, they stub their toe and they'll just yell out Jesus. But the second that you bring up Jesus seriously, it makes people really, really uncomfortable. The second you actually start talking about Jesus for who he really is, people are like, whoa, like why are you speaking that name? The reality is there's power in the name of Jesus. That's why people are uncomfortable when you bring up Jesus. You know. In my life, I spent a lot of it when I was your age with regrets now because I was so focused on spreading my own name. Like, I was so focused on being a class clown. I wanted to be known as the funny guy in class, so I was constantly distracting my friends and cracking jokes. When I became 15, I started a business called Acorn Studios, where I did graphics and web, and I went from door to door, passing out business cards that I made with my name on them because I wanted myself to be known. I started another business with my friend John Barger and we were doing puppetry down in Carlsbad and I had business cards for that. And I would go on message boards and I would be like, hey, you should check out this cool new puppet thing we found and like totally pretending like I wasn't myself, like trying to promote my own material. Like, oh, I found this cool thing called Skippy Shorts, you should check it out. Um, and, And I was trying to promote myself, but in the end it was empty because I realized that now The point of my life should not be about spreading my own name, but making the name of Jesus famous, because I can't save anyone. The name of Aaron Salvato can't save anyone, but Jesus can. And now I've been able to go all around the world preaching Jesus. And do you know know why I preach to you? You're like, oh, because it's your job. No, I preach to you so that you can take what you've learned and then you can go and make the name of Jesus famous. Like, I am expecting you as my students to carry these teachings onward in your life because this is not about you and this is not about me. This church service is not so you can just come and get some encouragement. If you get some encouragement, that's great, that's awesome, but it's not the point. The point is that we as Christians are called to make disciples. So I encourage you, take Notes. If you're not taking notes right now, whip out your phone and take some notes and then go home and pray over them because God wants you to be not just sitting here as a spectator, but a participant. God wants you to listen and hear from him and then write down what you've heard so that you can then go and share it. Now, Peter is, is preaching Jesus here. And you know what? Peter, he, he, he has an interesting story himself. Think about it. Peter is a guy who walked on water, like, Peter could have been like, hey, let me tell you guys about me. I was a fisherman, and then Jesus came, and, and all this crazy stuff happened, and all, I was involved in all these amazing things, and I was walking on water. Peter could have made this about himself. He could have given his testimony, but I think it's interesting. Peter doesn't mention himself at all. He focuses on Christ because he knows there is power in, simply speaking, the name of Jesus. Some of you guys here, you think, I don't have a testimony. Like, oh man, there's there's nothing I can give. I don't have some kind of crazy story where I was like a drug dealer or like a pimp or something. Like you guys are here and you're like, I'm a Christian kid who I've just grown up in the church my whole life. You need to understand that you do have an amazing testimony. The story of Jesus is your testimony. That is a crazy, powerful story that... The God who made the universe loved us enough to come down as a baby and live a life as a perfect man and teach and heal and bless people and die on our cross. That is an insane testimony, and that is not just Jesus' story, but it is your story because you're a part of this family. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard to talk about Jesus, and for Peter, it was hard to talk about Jesus. Actually, I would say it was even more hard in Peter's time to talk about Jesus because Christianity was considered a cult, Think about that, Christianity was considered a cult. At the time, if you loved God, if you followed Yahweh, you were a Jew who practiced Judaism. That, you followed the Torah, that was your Bible. And so Jesus shows up and says, hey, actually, I completed all that Torah stuff and now I am the Messiah and follow me. It would be like if we were here and some random guy walked on stage and grabbed the mic from me and was like, hey, I'm the son of God, follow me. It would be that as extreme. Christianity was absolutely considered a cult. And so Peter is trying to explain to them go back to that verse that we just read. He says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has revealed his servant Jesus. He brings this up because he's trying to show these guys hey, this isn't some new religion. Like, this isn't some new, random thing. This is actually the fulfillment of everything you Jews have wanted your entire life. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has revealed himself in the servant Jesus. Peter wants these Jews to meet Jesus so bad, so he begins to preach the second Christian sermon ever, and his focus is on Jesus, and he gives Jesus these different titles that we're going to briefly look at today. Because we want to understand deeper who Jesus is and what he did. So let's look at the first title that Peter gives him. The first title is servant. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. He was reminding these guys Jesus was a servant. If you were a Jew and you studied your Bible, you would know the prophecies in the book of Isaiah, which said the Messiah would be a suffering servant. And doesn't that just perfectly describe Jesus? Think about Jesus. Jesus was a foot washer. He's, he's the king, he's the Messiah, and he comes into this room with his disciples and everyone's feet smell, and Jesus is the one who's on his knees washing the disciples' feet. The king is the servant, it's amazing. Jesus would teach these teachings about if you're at a party and and, and, you know you've got all these rich people at a table and all of a sudden you know the beggar walks in, the poor man walks in the back. And, and, And and in normal culture, you would say, oh you beggar, like you know what? You can sit in the corner because all the good seats are already taken. But Jesus says, no, we should be servants. When the beggar walks in the back, you actually, as the king or the rich person or the noble, you say, hey, you, sir, you look like you could use a seat and you give up your seat. That was what Jesus taught. He was known as a servant, constantly healing and feeding people. Think about this. Think, Think about the most popular person that you know. Like at your school, in your friends, social group, think about the most popular person you know. Are they, think about this, are they seen as a servant? Do you often see the most popular person in school hanging around after everyone has already left cleaning up trash? Do, do we see that? Our culture doesn't really glorify the servant. The, the culture glorifies those who rise to the top and step over other people. Think about it, who do we wanna be? Do we want to be the CEO of the company or the janitor? But Jesus is the one who says, in my economy, everything's flipped upside down. It's the upside down kingdom. And the servants are actually the greatest in the kingdom of God. The next title he gives him is Savior. We see it again in verse 13. Now, you might look at it and be like, oh, the word Savior isn't in there. Well, actually, the title of Savior is actually brilliantly wrapped up in the name of Jesus himself. Think about it. The Hebrew name for Jesus is Yeshua or Yahshua. It's actually just basically Joshua. Um, so if you're here today and your name is Josh, congratulations. You actually have the same name as Jesus in Hebrew. So well done. Good on you. Um, but what the word, what the name Yeshua or Yahshua means is rescuer, deliverer, God saves. If your name is Josh, that's awesome. It means God saves. And I want to remind you today that Jesus is your Savior. We've heard that so many times. Like, we're, we're Christian church kids. Most of, we've, we've grown up hearing that. But the reality is we all need a Savior. When we're talking about Jesus, we're not just talking about him as a great teacher or a historical figure. We're talking about him the way his name declares him to be, which is the servant, humble king, and Savior of the world. And think about this. As saved people, are we talking about our Savior? Are we speaking about the one who has saved us? I see people all the time speaking about the things that are important to them. If you run into somebody who does CrossFit, you can bet they're going to mention that they do CrossFit within the first five seconds. If you run into someone who's a vegan you can, or a vegan or whatever, you can guarantee that they're going to talk about how they're a vegan, like if there's food around, it's going to come out. If somebody is into essential oils, you can bet they're going to attack you with some oregano to try to cure your sicknesses. But what about Jesus. Like, essential oils did not save us. CrossFit does not save us. But Jesus saves us. We have been saved. I love what Josh White says. If we are not preaching Jesus, we are not functioning as the church. It's deep. It's convicting. The third title that he gives is holy. Look at verse 14. He's talking to these Jews, and he starts to crank up the heat. He goes, guys, you disowned the holy and righteous one. And you ask that a murderer be released to you. What's he talking about there? He's talking about Barabbas. Remember Barabbas when Jesus is up there on the stage and Pilate is like, hey guys, uh, this guy has done nothing wrong and uh, I've got Barabbas here who's actually a murderer, so who should I kill? And the Jews are like, kill Jesus, give us Barabbas. Peter is reminding them of this moment. And he talks about how Jesus is holy. That's the title he gives them. What does holy mean? We think of holy as just mere perfection. I've talked about this many times. The word holy in the Bible is not just talking about being perfect, it's talking about being set apart for a purpose, just like the sun is set apart from the other planets in the galaxy. The sun, in a way, is holy because it's so different from everything else in our universe. It's bright, and it's amazing and glowing and gives us light and life and energy, and when you get too close to the sun, what happens? It, you're destroyed by the set-apartness of the sun, the heat that it projects. In the same way, God is so holy, he's so different different from us as humans and if we get too close to God as sinners we will be destroyed and yet Jesus came and Jesus became the holy one who was set apart for a purpose of saving people Israel was called to be holy all throughout the Bible God said Israel be holy you're supposed to be a kingdom of priests what does that mean a kingdom of priests is a kingdom of people who are supposed to bring people together with God that's what a priest does a priest is a bridge builder between God and man Israel failed So Jesus showed up and he was the Holy One. He did what no one else can do. Look at the end of verse 14. He says, you handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He's saying, remember what happened? Pilate wanted to release Jesus, but you guys wouldn't let him. The person that you were waiting for your entire life, the Holy One came down to you and you disowned him. Then he says some gnarly stuff in verse 15. Super heavy. He says, you killed the author of life. That is heavy, but really true. I mean, sometimes we we need blunt truth. He says, you released a killer, somebody who took other people's lives, you released Barabbas, and then you killed the one who was responsible for you being alive. You killed the one who gave you breath. That'd be like if you went down to a courtroom and you freed a mass murderer and then you sent your mom to the electric chair. That's like how intense of what we're talking about here. Seriously, think about it. You killed, or you let go a murder, and you killed the author of life. Guys, the reality of all of this, the tough, harsh reality, is that we can judge the Jews here. We can read this and be self-righteous and just be like, oh man, these Jews, like yeah, Peter's right to preach on them, but the reality is, This message is not just for the Jews in Jesus' day. This message is for all people on earth. We all were involved in the murder of Jesus. How? How? You're like, I I wasn't around back then. Listen, Jesus died for every sin. On the cross, he paid for every sin. past present and future, I don't care how good you think you are, I don't care that I'm a pastor's kid, I don't care that you guys grew up in the church, some of you guys are pastor's kids, I don't care about how many times you read your Bible, I don't care about how holy you feel like you are, the reality is every single one of us is guilty. When the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the God, what it's talking about is we all have participated in the murder of Jesus because his, our sin is what nailed him to the cross. That's why he had to go. The last title that he gives is the author. It says Jesus is the author of life. Jesus gave every single one of us life. The reason that you and I are breathing today is because of Jesus. But here's what's also encouraging, because it's not just convicting. It's not just like, oh, you know, Jesus is the author of life, and, 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 and you betrayed him. No, listen, Jesus is not just the author of our life, but he's the author of our salvation, in Hebrews 12 two, it says, we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. When I go to Oklahoma, they have these crazy storms, these gnarly torma- tornadoes, tornadoes, it's like a wind storm where tomatoes are hitting you, I don't know. Um, but during the tornado season, you go into these storm shelters and they keep you safe. The reality is someone built that storm shelter. All of us need shelter from sin and from destruction. There is a storm shelter that has been built, but it was built by Jesus. Salvation is a, a storm shelter that Jesus built using the nails and wood from the crop and it is painted in his blood. You have to understand, salvation a lot of times if you're a christian kid if you grew up in the church it just feels like something that you 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 just get like as soon as you're born it's like oh you're a christian kid you're saved hallelujah praise the lord we have to realize what went into building that salvation we have to understand the weight of our sin Here's what's crazy. In Hebrews 12, 2, it says that Jesus went to the cross. It says, for who the joy, listen, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross. It says that Jesus went to the cross for the joy that was set before him. What, what was the joy? What was. The joy that made him go to the cross. Some churches interpret that verse to say the joy set before him was the opportunity for him to go back to the glory of the Father. Like Jesus went to the cross because he knew about the glory of God and he would return to the Father. I disagree. Because listen, Jesus already had the Father's love and glory when he was in heaven. If he already had that joy, why would he even come down in the first place? No, listen, when it says that he endured the cross because of the joy set before him, I believe that joy that it's talking about is you. Jesus loves you. You are his pride and joy. He knew about you before you were even created and loved you. I think some of you guys really need to hear that this morning. Jesus takes pride and joy in you. He loves you so much. I know there's days you don't feel loved by the people in your life, by friends, by people at school, maybe even by relatives. You need to know that on your worst day, Jesus loves you more than you've ever been loved by anyone else in the entire universe. And the insane thing is he loved us so much that even though he knew he knew that we would kill him. He went to the cross to die for us. What kind of father, like, knows that his kids are going to murder? Like, I don't know. Like, here's the thing. Like, I don't have kids yet. But if I, if I was going to have kids, let's say I got, like, a time machine, like, device that could see the future. And I was, like, getting ready to have, or my wife would be the one, not me. Um, but, you know, she's getting ready to have this kid. But then we see into the future, and it's like, oh, yeah, at the age of six, uh, your child is going to murder you. (laughs) Like, he's going to stab you to death, and there's no way you can change it. I'm sorry. Like, I don't want to sound like a terrible person, but I would just be like, okay, we're going to put this kid in an orphanage (laughs) and have someone, like, if if the kid was going to stab me, I'm sorry. Like, you can judge me, but I don't want to get stabbed by a six-year-old. Have you seen a horror movie where, like, the kid appears, like, in a white robe, like, in the middle of the room, and they're just like, hi, dad, and you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, I don't want to get stabbed by some creepy horror movie kid, so I'd be like, someone else can deal with that kid, and we'll have a different one. Jesus knew. Like, he knew before making us, he knew that humanity would kill him, and he still made the decision to make humanity. That is crazy, insane love. And that brings me to the main point of this message, and the title, again, is Face your Darkness. Listen, Peter is making these guys face their darkness. And I think that is God's word for us today. He's saying you guys need to take a long, hard look at yourself and realize that Jesus' blood is on your hands. And in the same way, we don't like to admit that we're sinners, especially if you're a Christian kid. You know what we like to focus on? We like to focus on when people tell us that we're good. You know, when mom and dad are like, wow, you did a really good job cleaning your room, Johnny. (laughs) Good job. Like, you, oh, wow. Great report, A plus, your teacher says. We live for those moments. We live for the validation. We live for when people say things that boost our ego, you know? Oh wow, you have such a beautiful voice. Or wow, you're you're so pretty, or you're so handsome, or whoa, you're amazing on that football field. Like we love that stuff. We eat it up. Like we live for validation from other people. You know what we don't like to do? We don't like to look in the mirror when we've sinned and acknowledge it. A lot of times when we sin, we don't even think about it. We just sweep it under the rug. Like, we don't take a moment to acknowledge that, this, that, that disrespect we just showed our mom or that lie that we just told our dad or that homework we just cheated on or that thing that we were swiping through Instagram and we saw it and we know we shouldn't have looked at it, but we kept looking. All of these things, we do it so much that we literally just sweep it under the rug and say, I don't wanna think about that. I don't wanna think about how I'm a bad person. And maybe what we'll think is like, well, Jesus saved me, so it's good, I'm forgiven. And we'll think about that. But we won't think about how our sin affects Jesus. When he was hanging on the cross, he was taking, feeling the weight of sins, past, present, and future. We don't like to acknowledge this. We don't like to look at our own flaws. I wanna show you guys A clip from a movie. So this is going to be fun. We're going to have movie time in church. But I'm going to show you guys a clip from an epic scene from one of my favorite movies, Les Mis. There's a few of you here in the room that are big fans. The rest of you are going to be like, why is everyone singing so much? Um, I'm going to give you the backstory. There's a guy named Jean Valjean. And Jean Valjean is just a normal guy living in France. And His sister's wife, or whoa, what, no. Um, His sister's son, child. His sister's child is starving. Like their family, they're living in like France during the time of like poverty. And so the child is starving. So he goes out, they don't have any money. He steals a loaf of bread to feed the child. So like he's got the best intentions, it comes from a good heart, he's not a bad guy. He's just trying to help his sister. But he gets caught and he gets sent to jail on a prison ship and he is a slave, a prison slave for 19 years doing hard labor. Five years because he stole the bread, another 14 years on top of that because he tried to escape. And so at the beginning of the movie, the police release him. They say, you're on parole, Jean Valjean. You can go and live your life, but you know what? You're a marked man, and everyone that you run into is going to know you're a criminal, and he just leaves, and he hates everybody. He has done 19 years of hard time, and he just is so full of hate, and he just, he's so full of darkness and hatred and bitterness, and he blames everyone for what happened to him. And he's self-righteous in a way because he, it's like it's me against the world and everyone else is responsible for my problems and I'm a good guy and all I did was steal a loaf of bread and it's everyone else's fault. And then in the movie, he ends up meeting Jesus in an incredible way and it just changes the entire course of the rest of his life. And so it's amazing. So let's, let's watch it really quick and then we'll talk about it and then we'll be done. So go ahead, Tyler. You can play the clip.
1: Valjean, as a dangerous man, he will be on parole forever. Failure to report means immediate arrest. Be in Pontalier in 30 days. Follow him. Hey! Yeah! Let me see yeah! your papers. Let me see your papers. I'll
2: sleep in a stable, please. I'm hungry,
1: out. For you are weary And the night is cold out here Though our lives are very humble What we have, we have to share There is wine here to revive you There is bread to make you strong a bed to rest till morning, rest from pain and rest from wrong. Bless the food we eat today, bless our dear sister and our honored guest.
2: there! Ah. Monsignor, we have your silver. We caught this man red-handed. He get the nerve to say you gave him this.
1: That is right. But my friend, you left so early, surely something slipped your mind. You forgot. <laughs> I gave these also. Would you leave the best? behind. Monsieur release him. this man has spoken true. <sighs> I commend you for your duty. now God's blessing go with you. But remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. Use this precious silver To become An honest man By the Witness of the martyrs By the passion and the blood God has raised you Out of darkness I have saved Your soul For
2: what have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? Become a thief in the night, become a dog on the run. Have I fallen so far, and is the hour so late That nothing remains but the cry of my hate The cries in the dark that nobody hears Here where I stand at the turning of the years If there's another way to go I missed a twenty long years ago My life was a war that could never be won They gave me a number and they murdered Valjean When they chained me and left me for dead just by stealing a mouthful of bread.
1: (sighs) Yet why did
2: I allow this man to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust He called me brother, my life he claims for God above. Can such things be?
1: For I had come to
2: hate the world, this world that always hated me. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart into stars. This is all I have lived for This is all I am all. One word from him and I'd be back <laughs> Beneath the lash upon
1: the rack Instead he offers me my freedom I feel my shame inside me Like a knife he told me that I have a soul, how does
2: he know what spirit comes to move my
1: life? <laughs> Is there another way to go? I am reaching, but I fall. And the night is closing in as I stare into the void To the whirlpool of my sin.
2: I'll escape now from that world. From the world of Shambh! Shambhshan is nothing now! Under the story must!
0: So good. <laughs> is anyone else excited about that? A few people. I think it's so good. And here's why. If if you've missed all the subtext in the song, this is a guy who at the beginning of the movie just thinks it's all everyone else's fault. I did nothing wrong. And then he has to face his own darkness. Because think about it, he comes out of jail and he's like, I am an innocent man, I didn't do anything wrong. And then he goes and this priest offers him redemption. He says, hey, come stay with me. I'll feed you, I'll take care of you. And then right away, what does he do? He goes and he steals from the priest. He steals from him. It's revealing the darkness in his own heart. Jean Valjean thought he was a good guy, but he proved by his actions that he was a sinner just like everyone else. And then the priest, instead of punishing him, he offers him forgiveness and he says, listen man, God is giving you a second chance. And you are called now to follow him, to live a life for God. And then there's that epic scene we just watched where he's like wrestling and he's battling back and forth with himself. And in the end, he realizes, I cannot continue to be the man who I used to be. I need a fresh start. I need to accept that God wants me to follow him and the rest of the movie and the rest of the book he continues to he lives his life in a way where John Valjean he becomes this hero who spends his life helping other people and serving other people and even laying down his life and being willing to die for other people just like Jesus it's it's an incredible story and just all that to say in the last couple of minutes we have before we wrap up I want to ask you have you faced your own darkness have you considered have you acknowledged? that you participated just by being a sinner in the murder of God. And when we sin, we continue to murder God in our hearts when we give our devotion to anything besides Jesus. Guys, our sin is a heavy thing. A lot of times with sin, we think it doesn't affect anyone else, it's just kind of my thing. And we found a lot of ways to keep our sin private in the modern technological age. We, we have a lot of ways to hide our sins from others. But in the reality, your sin not, doesn't just hurt you. It doesn't just hurt your family. It doesn't just hurt your friends. But it hurts the heart of God. And let me, let me remind you this. Sin is not the little things that we do. Sin is the rejection of Jesus's rule in our life. It's saying, Jesus, I can't let you be king because I need control. What does he say in verse 15? You killed the author of life, but, here's the hope, God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Listen, guys, God has always been about taking the enemy. What the enemy went, meant for evil, God has always been about turning that into good. And the ultimate example we see of that is on the cross. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he's taking into himself all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the evil and sin, and what does Jesus do? He turns around and he takes all of that evil that had been put on him and he builds this amazing and beautiful salvation for us. This is good news. And guys, we've been preaching these messages on messages. Peter is giving sermons and I'm giving sermons based on Peter's sermons. It reminds me of just what the point of preaching actually is is. Peter is in the message, he's playing into the guilt that these guys already feel. He's saying, you killed Jesus, he's reminding them of the guilt that they already feel. But listen, preaching, like what I'm doing right now, the point is not about creating overwhelming guilt inside of people. But what it is about is breaking through people's fantasies and exposing them to reality. Guys, we constantly live in our own fantasies, believing the lies of Satan. Let me give you some example. Thinking you can lie to your parents and not have it hurt your relationship with them and God, that is a fantasy, but we believe it because the enemy lies to us. Thinking that you can look at pornography and not have it affect you is a fantasy, but we buy into it because the enemy says it's just a little bit. Thinking that you can do Drugs, that you can abuse substances to try to fill the hole in your heart and have it not destroy you. It's a fantasy. Thinking you can date that guy or that girl who's not following Jesus and everything's just going to work out okay and it's going to be like missionary dating and he or she is going to get saved through the power of your amazing dating relationship. That's a fantasy. It's a fantasy we give ourselves to these these illusions and think everything is going to be fine we need to wake up to the reality satan is real sin is real hell is real and satan is trying to bring as many people as he can there and if he can't bring you with him to hell because you're already saved he will make your life here on earth as hellish as possible he will strip your christian life of all of its influence and power because you'll be so focused on sin that you won't live into the reality that you've been given the holy spirit We need to wake up to the reality, guys, that heaven is real, Jesus is real, and Jesus did everything possible to make a way for us to not only go to heaven, but have a life that is filled with the kingdom of heaven, a life experiencing the kingdom of God. Guys, the gospel is not meant to condemn us, but it is meant to convict us, and there's a difference. There's a difference between someone seeing that you're sick and mocking you and just being like, oh, you sick freak and someone actually pointing out your sickness and saying, hey, listen, you need to go to the doctor. That's a huge difference. The Bible is not about pointing out your sickness and being, oh, you're so bad, you're so bad. The Bible is about pointing out your sin so that you feel convicted and then you come to the cross where you can be healed. You should never leave these church services feeling condemned. But I do hope and pray that you leave here feeling convicted because if we don't see a need to be saved from anything, why on earth would we turn to one who can save us? Think about it. If you're walking down the street, like just imagine you're walking down the street and some guy comes up to you and he's like, hurry, grab my hand, I'll save you. If you look around and there's like nothing going on, like there's no meteors like about to hit you, there's no car about to hit you, there's just some random guy who's like, take my hand, I'll save you. You'd be like, no. No, I'm gonna go call 911. Who are you? (laughs) Like, get out of here. But if you're falling off a cliff and someone throws out their hand and says, grab onto my hand, I'll save you, what do you do? You grab onto that hand. The reality is we live in an illusion often where Jesus is saying, take my hand, I'll save you. And we look at our life and we say, what do I need to be saved from? I'm a church kid. I go to church on Sundays, sometimes even Wednesdays. I got it pretty good. And we don't realize that it's not just hell that Jesus wants to save us from. Jesus wants to save us from ourselves, from the daily sins and attitudes and wickedness that we give ourselves to on a regular basis basis, every single one of us, myself included, is at risk of falling into that pit and not even realizing it because we're so blinded by our own self-righteousness thinking, I've got it together. The reality is we never have it together. Jesus always has it together. That is why us messed up people constantly need to grab the hand of Jesus so that he can help get us together. The problem is for many of us, we don't even realize how much we need the Lord. Isn't it sad when someone doesn't realize their problems? You know, recently I, at Calvary Vista on a Monday night college group, I was in here and then I heard noise outside and so me and Jamie are being a ran outside and there was two homeless people fighting, a guy and a girl, and it was crazy. Like the, this guy, he looked like John Lennon. He had long hair and a beard and like a big old floppy like hipster hat. And then there was like this lady and he was like, this skinny kind of like methed out blonde lady and he was grabbing her by her hair and like dragging her and she was kicking and screaming and he was like why did you steal from me why did you steal from me and he was hitting her and and so we called the cops and we went over and and we tried to like defuse the situation and, and the guy came up to us and was like whoa you guys got a problem and it, it got kind of intense and then the cops showed up and they arrested the guy and it was just it was gnarly but here's what's crazy So this guy had just been abusing this girl, dragging her by her hair, hitting her, yelling at her, and now he's arrested, and she's on the ground, and she's like, I love you, baby. And he's like, I love you too, babe. I'm going to get out and see you. And she's like, ah. It was so sad because they're obviously in this toxic relationship full of abuse, and yet they don't even realize that they have a problem. Guys, don't be like that. Don't ignore your own darkness. See your sin for what it is and ask Jesus for help. These messages that I share with you should always be like heart surgery. In the message, Peter is making them feel the weight of their sin, and then he offers them the solution, and it's Jesus. He offers them Jesus. Here's the thing. You can be here today on a Sunday and not actually know Jesus. You could be here today and not actually know Jesus. Or you can know Jesus, but you can resist all the work that he wants to do in your life. The Bible talks about God being like a potter, and we're like the clay. But oftentimes we're like, just imagine like the potter trying to like work with this clay, and there's this lump of clay, and it's just like, no, and it like jumps off the pot. Thing. It's like, no, I do not want you to work on me. And then it just hits the ground. It's like, like that's what we do constantly. God says, I want to work with you. I want to touch you. I want to heal you. And we just dive out and say, no, Lord, I don't want you to work on me. I'm going to finish today by reading a poem by Keith Green. You guys know I'd like to quote Keith Green. Here's a Keith Green quote or, or poem called Soften Your Heart. I'm going to read it now. So many times I've tried to tell you, but I don't think you've been listening. There's nothing that I wanna try and sell you because his love is free. You're so proud of saying that you're a seeker, but why are you searching in the dark? You won't find a thing until you soften your heart. The message is oh so very simple. You've gotta be like a child to see because Jesus said let the little children come unto me. You try to make things so complicated, but you really don't have to be so smart. You won't learn a thing until you soften your heart. If just this once I could show you your empty life, I know you would follow him right now. Well, I know it sounds just too good to be true, but if he lives in you, you'll never die. You'll live forever. You tell everyone to keep on smiling. Your outlook on life is so positive. But deep down inside, you're searching for a reason to live. Like everyone else, you're scared of dying, but the power of death has been blown apart and you'll live forever if you soften your heart. Guys, you can be here today and you can be, there might be some of you guys here today and your heart is hard and you don't know Jesus. And maybe your parents force you to come or I don't know why you're here. But, you know, you're here and you're like, okay, I like this community or I like the coffee and I like the food, but I'm not on board with Jesus. Jesus is saying to you, listen, soften your heart. Did you know that if if you give God just an inch, he'll take miles and miles? If you just say to God, Lord, I don't 100% know what this is all about, but I want to trust you. I want to put my faith in you. If you give him, just Jesus says a mustard seed worth of faith can move mountains. I encourage you today, if that's you, soften your heart to the Lord and open yourself up to what he wants to do. Some of you guys here are saved, but you have hard hearts. You're saved, but your hearts are hard, and there's things in your life that God wants to do. But that means he's got to take some things away from you, some things that aren't good. He's got to stretch you, he's got to grow you, and we don't like change. We don't like growth, and we don't like giving up our sins because our sins often is where we find comfort. Jesus says, hey, that stuff's poison, and I love you, and I want to take away what's poisonous and give you what's life-giving. If you're convicted today, I want to ask you to respond to that, and if your heart is hard, I want to just simply say, allow Jesus to soften your heart. Because the way that Jesus reacts to human guilt is with love and grace and a way of escape. Lord, I just want to pray for these students right now that you would help them to understand that you are calling them to repentance, to recognize that they need a savior. God, I just think of little kids and how, when they are eating you know, chocolate cake or something, getting it all over their face, what does that kid do? The kid turns to their mom or dad, and the mom or dad takes a rag and lovingly cleans off the face of that baby. God, as humans, we mess up and we make so many mistakes and we think that we have to fix those mistakes ourselves. We think that we have to go and clean up our life, but really what repentance is, is it's us turning to you facing you like that child just faces the mom or dad and allows you, Jesus, to clean us up. I just pray, God, I know, I know that in my own strength I can't do anything to, to convict people and we don't have in this group fancy lights or a band with emotional music playing in the background making things super dramatic, but we don't need that stuff, God, because I know that as limited as my words are, And as much as I feel like everyone in this group has heard me teach a million times, God, I know that it's not me speaking right now, it's you speaking by your spirit. So I just ask Jesus that you would soften hearts in this room, help people today to turn from their sin, help them to leave today changed, help them to repent and realize, God, how much they need you, how much they're loved by you, God, help them to to repent from their ignorance of who you are and help them to open up their eyes. If there's people here who have a wrong idea of you, Jesus, if they think of you as a God who just wants to ruin their fun and crush their dreams and control their life, help them to realize that you are the God who literally died for a friendship with them. You died, God, to show them how much you love them. Help them to realize that. Soften their heart and turn to you. We love you, Jesus, and we ask this In your name, amen.